This is tape number three of the series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven by Dr. Joel Hunter. The subject of this message is Uniqueness of Christian's Heaven, a Primitive Perspective. Dr. Hunter's scripture text is John chapter 6, verses 26 through 29, and from the New International Version, it reads as follows. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And now, let's join in for praise and worship followed by message number three, Uniqueness of Christian's Heaven, a Primitive Perspective, in this series, The Destination of Faith, Heaven. It was our 10th wedding anniversary, so Bill and I decided to really treat ourselves to a vacation in paradise. So we booked one of those luxury Bahamas cruises. It was great. We, we booked it three months in advance, which was wonderful. Those three months seemed magical. You know, even at work when things would start going wrong, I would just say to myself, this doesn't matter. I will be on a cruise soon. I will be on a cruise soon. And at home, things with Bill and I were a little tense. We hadn't really spent a lot of time together, but we knew that on the cruise we'd have plenty of time alone together. And as you can imagine, the cruise was incredible. The ship itself was gorgeous and majestic, and our cabins were great, and all the rooms were magnificent. The ballroom was like something out of an old 40s movie set. The dining room was splendid, and the food was delicious and nonstop. It was just nonstop food. Every time I'd go to check out a new deck, the first thing I'd see is the buffet. They had a buffet for every time of the day. They had a morning buffet, mid-morning buffet, lunch mid-afternoon snack, dinner, after dinner, midnight, pre-dawn, just after pre-dawn but not quite full dawn, buffet. It was great. And I didn't gain a pound. There was aerobics and swimming and racquetball and tennis and a jogging course. And there was also sunbathing and reading and massage therapy and shopping. It was a 10-day cruise of every luxury imaginable. But by the tenth day, I was kind of ready to get off the ship. We had a lot of free time, and uh, Bill and I just didn't really have a lot to talk about. And you can only amuse yourself with luxuries and stuff for so long. I was glad to get home. I think Bill enjoyed it more than I did. Maybe next year we'll try separate vacations. So Claire's accounting brings an interesting question. When does a focus on circumstances actually distract from a personal love? That's what we want to talk about this morning when we are exploring the primitive view of heaven. 
Now, the reason that we're going to start out in our discussion about heaven with perspectives other than Christianity is because many times Christians, when they approach something, get too quickly to the answer. And by getting too quickly to the answer, they fail to unlearn some things that could actually hinder their accuracy in learning. That's part of the process of learning, by the way. You have to unlearn some things before you can fully learn other things. And so we have to find out what there is in several different perspectives that we have now in our perspective that we need to unlearn in order to get a full and accurate view of what Scripture says heaven really is. Now, some of these things won't be very pleasant, but uh, they will be factual. Last night we had uh, the, the beginning of our kids' uh, service, uh, where we have the kids... Uh, I've missed this. We have kids um, um, come down for a children's sermon, and, and uh, Pastor Dick Moulton has given a children's sermon, and... and uh, um, so there's like 75 kids or 100 kids up on this stage just kind of sitting around. And they are absolutely, you know, great to look at. I mean, I'm absolutely eating this. And he's, he asked him a question. He says, what do you got to do to get to heaven? You know, we're talking about heaven. What do you got to do to get to heaven? Well, you have all the, you know, the normal. He's passing around the microphone as much as he could. And you have all the normal answers, you know. Uh, you know, the, you know the, the, some of the kids gave the mother's version. You have to be good. Uh, <laughs> Others got a little bit more theologically accurate. You've got to go love God. And then, you know, some really hit on the answer and said, you know, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But there was this one little kid just sitting here, just never got the microphone, but he just, you know, looked up, got a baseball cap on, looked up. You know, I was sitting right in the front row, so I heard him when other people didn't. Looked up and says, you've got to die first. <laughs> So, it's, you know, we're going to look at some unpleasant things that may be accurate, you know. But it's good for us uh, to, to look at first things first. Now, if you will turn with me, if you have your scriptures, to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, we will look at one of the main proponents of a primitive religion and see how those things are still in our own faith today and how Jesus spoke to them and still speaks to them. Starting with verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs. In other words, not because you were interested in spiritual things, so to speak. But because you, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He just, tar- he just did the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. You ate of the loaves and were filled in your stomachs. Do not work for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Now, I want you to see just the verses. I'm going to go a little bit further than it's in your bulletin. But just the verses I'm going to read to you how often Jesus brings the point back to himself. And it's not because he's egotistical. Read with me. They said, therefore, to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, this is next week's sermon. This week's sermon is about appetite. Next week's sermon is about works. The first thing people pick up on, what do I do to earn it? What shall we do to do the works of God? Work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, 
this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said, therefore, to him, well, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? Do you what, do, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna. They see, right back to the appetite. In the wilderness, it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said, therefore said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, therefore, to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Let's take a quick survey of some primitive religions and how they saw the afterlife, how they saw heaven. Better than, even, even more um, um, accurately than that, um, how they saw heaven affecting this life, because that's really uh, our interest. Now, we do this for two reasons. First of all, to compare to Christianity, but also to understand that God, since the beginning of time, has been preparing all people fulfill, for fulfillment in, in Christ. What we have when we go through this is, is theology by premonition. They don't see it fully, but they've got some of the aspects to it. And so we're going to pick up on some of the aspects that are concerns. Now, I, I do this. I've got three slides to show you today. This is going to be a little bit more of a classroom here at the beginning, uh, just so that we can kind of work our way through uh, several ancient beliefs. Give me the first slide. First, I want to talk about the Hebrews. Um, all of the uh, primitive religions basically had a, a striated uh, uh, universe. That is, it was in... In, in different levels, and there were different gods that inhabited different levels. Um, uh, in the very early Hebrew, now the Hebrew had, uh, Hebrews had like four uh, versions of the afterlife, and this is just the earliest one, the most primitive one. I'll tell you about the others later on. But in the, in the very early ones, um, um, everyone who died went to the netherworld, to Sheol. Uh, it, it wasn't a matter, in the earliest religion, uh, ethical conduct was not connected with where you went after you died. Everybody died and just went, you know, to the same place. And this was the land of dead human beings that just continually went around, and also the land of infernal gods. Now, this was not so much for, for Hebrews, because Hebrews uh, were always monotheistic. So what the Hebrews would do is that they believed that you could, you know, when you needed help, you could kind of call on your dead relatives, and, that, and that's what you did. You, you, you called on your dead relatives, second, uh, or, or, or dead uh, uh, spiritual fathers. Second Samuel talks about um, Saul going to the medium at Endor, remember? And when he got in trouble, and he said, um, you know, call up for me whom I say. And so this medium uh, calls up Samuel. She didn't know it was Samuel. But she calls up Samuel, and he talks with Samuel. Well, this is not. This was part of the primitive part of uh, uh, Hebrews. Now, um, what I want to say about this is that in most primitive religions, there are underworld gods that help with crops. There are sky gods that help with uh, game um, capture and so on and so forth. They have to do with the animals and the movement on the earth. 
And in practically every primitive religion, there is some high ultimate God somewhere who is ultimately responsible for everything, but he really has nothing to do with everyday life. And so therefore, even though they know he's there, they have no hope of reaching them, reaching him personally. So what their concentration is on, how can we get the underworld, and if they believe it, the overworld, to improve our circumstances here? Now let's go to another ancient race, the Egyptians. The Egyptians probably put more emphasis on the afterlife than ever, any other nation in the history of mankind. Um, those huge pyramids are tombs uh, to preserve their kings for the afterlife because it was the Pharaoh's responsibility to take care of his people. And if you took care of the Pharaoh, even, the, even in the afterlife, then the Pharaoh t would take care of you, see? And especially if you took care of him when he got there and you got there, he would, he would take care of you when you got over there. But there were different legends, um, and, uh, and many of you, if you know Egyptian art, will, will see this falcon here. Let me explain this to you just as a piece of a survey of an ancient, ancient religion. Uh, the, the Greek goddess, or I mean the, the, the Egyptian goddess uh, Isis, was married to Osiris. Osiris got killed by the evil Set. Um, but, bef but during a short resurrection period, uh, they conceived... The, a, a baby, their son Horus, and Horus took the form of a falcon. And so Osiris was then the god of the underworld, and the falcon, who is now embracing the Pharaoh as, as a symbol of taking care of the nation, this god of the world that's going on uh, is, is usually around the Pharaoh's image somewhere. But here is the, uh, an ancient hymn, you can take this off now, here is an ancient hymn to Osiris, the god of the underworld. The hymn went like this, O Osiris, give me wonderful bread to eat in the place of coolness when I come to you. Now remember how hot Egypt was. This could be some of the Egyptians' prayers if they lived in central Florida during the summer. Give me wonderful bread to eat when I come to, to, to eat it in the places of coolness with you and give me a homestead in the land of the blessed. So there was always this concern with circumstances. You know, either improve my circumstances here or improve my circumstances there. It was also true, is also true with many tribal religions, whether they be tribal religions in America or, or Africa or whatever. Tribal religions are usually um, uh, animistic religions. That is, they believe that the animals have their own gods and crops have their own gods and, and so on and so forth. And so what they try to do is engage these gods to perform works for them. As a matter of fact, if you um, um, are an anthropologist you have very much trouble differentiating between ancient magic and ancient religion. You know why? Because they were basically the same thing. Magic is trying to get the gods to do what you want rather than you doing what the gods want. Trying to get the gods to improve your life or find some cosmic formula that will be the answer to all your frustrations here. And so in these primal religions, in every tribe... Uh, there was always a shaman. You've heard the, you've heard the term uh, medicine man or witch doctor. Uh, whatever term you want to use, there was a shaman who would 
try to heal physical things, try to provide in physical ways by going into the spiritual world. And many times they, they did what is, the, what is the, what, um, uh, an act that, is, that we term analogic causation, which essentially means by, analog, by, by analogy you act something out and hope that you have pleased the God enough that they will perform what you have acted out. It usually comes in the form of a dance or a chant or something like that. See? Now, put up the picture of the shaman that was found. This is found in the cave, uh, in an ancient cave of France. Um, in, uh, um, of, a, of an ancient tribe. And let me describe this to you. Here is a medicine man, a shaman, dressed up to please uh, the game gods so that they would have a successful hunt. I want you to notice he has the antlers of a reindeer. He has the eyes of an owl. He has the beard of a man so that man can get in the formula there. He has the claws of a bear. He has the tail of a horse. He has the fur of an animal. And, of course, you see human feet down here. But what he's doing is he's dancing so that he can engage these, he can kind of say, you know, I'm kind of like you. You know, you're, you're animal gods. I'm kind of dressed up like an animal. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm telling you what I want you to do for me, how I want you to uh, improve my circumstance here. Okay, you can turn it off now. So here's the point of the ancient religions. The point was always for the improvement of circumstances, whether it be here or on the other side. Many people, by the way, um, saw the, the, the other side only as a slight improvement over this side. Uh, the, the, the Indians, for, for example, weren't too sure how it would be, so a lot of them just took their relatives with them. Um, some, in some tribes, when a husband dies, the wife's killed so that she can go with him. Uh, the Inca emperors... Um, would um, when, they, when they died, they just assigned their favorite concubines and favorite servants to be killed uh, so that they could go with them into the afterlife. Now, you kind of makes you want to pull a bad trick on the emperor right before he dies, you know, so he wouldn't want you to come along. But, but there, was it, there, was this, there was this earthly transference into this better world. And in the Indian uh, um, analogy, this would be happy hunting grounds. The picture of heaven wasn't to go be with the gods. You know, in many primal religions, the gods were not as noble as men were. They did not have the standard of morality that men had. So there wasn't a personal relationship here. There was just an improvement of circumstances. And that's what we see in common in all primal religions. Some sort of engagement so that I can improve my circumstances. And they saw heaven in terms of their surroundings. Okay. Now, let's go to what is analogous in the Christian religion. Certainly, in the Christian religion, there is um, a hope for better circumstances. There is a hope for certain fulfillment. And there is even in the Christian religion some themes that are, are appetite-oriented. You know, when, when in um, um, Luke chapter 14, it gives the, the, the parable about the, or the story about the man who threw the banquet, you know, and then said, all is ready, go out and, and gather in the invited guests. And the invited guests 
started one after another to make excuses. I want you to think of the flavor of that parable or story. Was it, in the end, the big disgusting uh, or, the, or the big disappointment part of that parable? Was it that the food would go to waste? No, he brought other people in, you know, so the food wouldn't go to waste. But what was missing was the fellowship with the provider. The disappointment and the anger of, of he who was scorned for hollow reasons. The difference between Christianity, mature Christianity and primal religions is that we don't see our provisions in terms of the provisions themselves or our circumstances in terms of the circumstances themselves. We see them in terms of who we get to be with while we're enjoying them. That's the difference. Um, why, in Acts chapter 17, would Paul go to Mars Hill and talk to people who were in every way religious? Verses 22 and 23. I, I, I note that you are in every way a religious person. And I note here on this, it says to an unknown God, I am here to explain to you who that is. Why would he explain to them who that was? I mean... Couldn't they just work the formulas and, and, and get what they needed on earth? No. The reason he explained it is because the difference is that Christians have a personal God. Emmanuel, God with us. Now think in terms of the most meaningful food in your life. All right. Ready for this? Most of you have a favorite dish. I would venture to say, if you track down... What is your favorite dish and why it is your favorite dish? There would be some connection with many of you. There would be some connection between that food and somebody you loved or some time you spent with that person that you loved. My favorite dish is Marzetti. Anybody ever heard of Marzetti? Okay, now this is the third service I've tried this. Nobody's ever heard of it. I've come to the conclusion it's something my mother made up. Well, Daddy, was she just... I mean, it was just, it's just, it's no big deal. It's hamburgers and noodles and, you know, um, tomato sauce and cheese and just stuff. You know, goo, yeah, it's goulash. It's like goulash, yeah. You know? And when I was growing up, I can remember times when we would have, you know, we're having Marzetti night. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, you're to love it, you know? When we got married, my wife did a very wonderful thing. She said, Hunter, I want to know what your favorite food is. And I said, well, it's Marzetti. She said, what in the world is that? I said, I don't know. It's just stuff. So she went to my sister. She got the recipe. And every time she wants to bless me with a special occasion, you know, something, something neat is coming out, she'll make this Marzetti stuff, you know. Now my boys have the Marzetti stuff, you know. <laughs> it's going to go from generation to, to generation, you know. Marzetti will mean a lot to them. But you know what? This isn't about the food. It's about the connection between the food and the one I love. When I go to my sister's house and she, she uh, cooks for my family, she cooks specifically the foods that my mother used to cook for us. My mother's dead now. But she, she cooks specifically the food that my mother used to cook for us. It's not about food. It's about love. It's not about provision. It's about personal love. You see... That's the difference. And when Jesus said, I provide this supper for you, 
And this supper is me. It's not about provision. It's about love. So therefore, most of us, when we think about heaven, have this primal, immature understanding that, well, heaven's going to be that place where everything will be right. All the circumstances will be perfect. If that is your vision of heaven, you've quite missed the point. Because God is not nearly as concerned with the circumstances as he is with his personal relationship with you. Why did Jesus keep saying, I'm the bread. You want bread? I'm the bread. Because he wasn't as concerned with the physical circumstances. You know, when God came down here, the surroundings were less than perfect. You can read it. Luke 2.7 She gave birth to her firstborn child and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in an animal food trough. That's what a manger is. It's an animal food trough because there was no room for them in the end. Is that heaven? You bet it is. Because he was Emmanuel, God with us. Why does the Bible say over and over again, I mean almost as if it can't believe it in, in Revelation 21, and God himself shall be with them. And they shall be his people, and he shall be their God, and God himself shall be with them. Because heaven is about a personal relationship, not about an improvement of our circumstances. And that's something that we can have right now. As a matter of fact, as the skit demonstrated, if you only place your hope in the perfection of your circumstances, you will be devastatingly disappointed of the lack of love in your life. You know, I, I love, I, I confess to me, I love the old Twilight Zone movies. I love Twilight Zone. Rod Serling, one of my favorite characters. I grew up on him before I was a Christian, and he's, I've just always had this nostalgia. And, and, and right before the New Year on Channel 65, they had this marathon, like 60-some hours of Twilight Zone episodes, you know. Watch Twilight Zone till your eyeballs fall out and you're, you're dead asleep on the floor, you know. Rug prints in your... Th- and... Uh, one of my favorite Twilight Zone, we were talking about this in worship uh, uh, committee. One of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes was about, uh, picture this, <laughs> Rocky Valentine, gangster. And, and, and at the beginning of this thing, Rocky Valentine gets shot. And he, and he goes to, the, to an unexpected, pleasant place. And he's got this spirit guide, friendly guy. And man... Everything is right. I mean, he wants to gamble. Sure, gamble. He wins every time. He wants to eat. Sure, eat. He's got anything he wants in the way of food. He wants a a girlfriend. All the women love him. Anything he wants. He's so popular. All of life is centered around Rocky Valentine. Well, it doesn't even take ten days to get sick of it. He's so sick of it because... The circumstances are so perfect. And then he does a very bold thing. takes a very grave risk. He looks at this spirit guide and he says, I want to go to the other place. The spirit guide looks at him and says, This is the other place. This is the other place. It's not about perfect circumstances. It's about your relationship with God who loves you. You know, you don't have to wait for that 
practical principle to hit you in your everyday life right now. How many of you spend all of your life raising your kids, wanting the perfect circumstances with them? And that's where you spend all your time. But you haven't spent an equal amount of time just getting to know them and appreciate them and loving them. Let me tell you, when you get to be my age, the most important times of your life will be the times you just enjoyed those kids. All of those times of cleaning up will kind of take a back seat. I'm not saying don't clean your house. You've, you've got to do that just in order to see the kids. <laughs> but I'm saying that the circumstances are not important, like the personal relationships. Some of you who are married spend all of your time trying to improve your life, trying to get gadgets or relaxation time or whatever, and meanwhile, you haven't loved in a long time long time. Remember what it was like right at first? You didn't need anything except to be together. It's all you needed. You know what? It's still like that. And those of you who spend so much time trying to develop your relationship with God so that your life can be blessed or different down here or up there, and so you're trying to be good and you're trying to mind your P's and Q's. And you're saying, oh God, if I do this, please protect them. Please make their life better. You're missing the point. Go ahead and pray. I believe in intercessory prayer. I believe in answered prayer. But the point of prayer is not answered. Answers. The point of prayer is not answers. The point of prayer is Jesus. That's the point of prayer. It's not what you get. It's who you're talking to. It's who you're with. You understand that the primitive form, even of Christianity, would concern itself with the everyday improvement of life. And the mature form of Christianity would concern itself with the everyday love of God. Pray with me. God, there are some folks in here who have, like those kids, just hoping they can be good enough to get to heaven. Um, Father, wipe that thought out of their mind. Nobody's good enough to get to heaven. Let them develop a deep hunger just to know you and to have a personal relationship with you. God, teach us. You're the bread that we hunger for. You're the bread that takes away all of the importance of the other appetites. You're the bread that makes circumstances seem so superfluous. You're the bread that answers our needs. Help us to continue to hunger for a relationship with you. Father, let us receive you into our hearts as living God that you might tabernacle with us and that we might grow in the relationship as we offer ourselves to you today, Lord, in whatever form, whether it be money and emotions and sins for forgiveness and resolutions to be different. 
in all of those forms and more, God. We do it not to earn anything. But today, we do it because we are grateful for your love and we want to love you back. We pray this in the name that is more precious than anything on this earth or in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.